0: Amen. Welcome again to all the kids who are with us in the room today. Oh, let me ask you you kids a question. Are you you out there? I see Naomi out there. Cooper, I see you. Quincy, Maddie, I see kids. Ethan, I think you're over there. Yeah, they're all over the place. How many of you kids like to play pretend? Anyone? You like to play pretend? I used to love to play pretend. How many how many of you big kids out there wish you could go back and play pretend once again? Right? Yeah, some of you are like, I'm gonna go play pretend in a few minutes, I'm out there on the wetter slide, I'm gonna pretend I'm 10 years old once again, and then we'll all realize, oh, we're not 10 years old anymore. Some of us wish we could go back and play pretend. Life was simpler back in the day. I know some of you kids think life is pretty complicated, having to learn how to brush your teeth and all that kind of stuff. But trust me, it gets a little bit more complicated as we go and as we get older. Life was man, I wish I could go back. Back in the day, you change your clothes. Maybe you put on that jacket. Maybe you, your girls, you put on the dress or those glasses or you put on that cape and you jump out of bed and run into the backyard and you are whoever you imagine yourself to be. And it is awesome. I can remember pretending to be a submarine captain. My own ship. Everyone did what I said. I remember being a secret agent and hiding behind the bushes and making sure the cars that went by didn't see me. I saw them, they didn't see me. I remember being a pilot. I remember being a soldier on the front lines and fighting bravely and then getting hit and going down. But it's all for you guys. Oh, what it, what it was to pray, play pretend. Those were good days. It's fun to play pretend when you were a kid. It's a little different to play pretend when you get bigger. Sometimes it's dangerous to play pretend as you're older. This morning, I'd like to suggest that it can actually have eternal consequences if you find yourself playing pretend like the guys that Jesus is talking about in Mark chapter 12 Verses 38 to 44. That's where we're at this morning. Would you turn there with me in your Bibles? And would you stand with me as we read from God's Word? Now, we've been in chapter 12 for quite a while. It's been weeks in chapter 12. Let's finish it, okay? Does that sound good? Let's finish chapter 12 today. Mark chapter 12, 38 to 44. It says this, And in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes. Who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. Who devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. May God bless the reading of His Word. You may be seated. I'm talking about pretenders today, there were pretenders. These people were pretenders that Jesus was talking about, and He gives us certain clues that clue us in on how exactly they like to pretend. First of all, they like to dress up. These people like to dress up. William Shakespeare once wrote, apparel oft proclaims the man. These days you hear it said something like this. It's the clothes that make the man, right? You've heard that before. Some people will say, you dress for success, If you want a certain position, you want a certain job, well, start acting like it. Start dressing like it, and then maybe you will get there. It's the idea that the way you dress actually matters. It makes a difference. It says something about who you are. People look at you differently depending on the way you dress. If you go out into the world in your Spider-Man pajamas, good luck. (laughs) These guys knew that. They knew that. They knew that if you dressed a certain way, it made a difference, and they were masters of it. They wanted their outward appearance to tell people something about who they were, something about how important they were. And they wanted people to recognize that and treat them a certain way because of that. So they wore these full-length, elaborate, extremely ornate, expensive clothes. If they were in the military these days, they would have looked something like probably a four-star general would have looked. With all that chest candy, I think they call it a fruit salad or scrambled eggs. You know what I'm talking about. All of the medals and the patches that go with being someone important in the military. They were dressed to the nines, as they say. On the edge of their clothes, they would have had these, these little tassel things. And that was actually something that God had commanded all the way back in Numbers chapter 15. It says this, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord, to do them, and not to follow your after your own heart and your own eyes. Tassels, these were reminders. Okay, i got to keep the commandments of God. But guess what these guys' tassels were like? They were longer. They were bigger. They were more elaborate than everyone else's because these guys wanted everyone else to see, look, I really care about following God's law. Now, many of us don't wear these kinds of uniforms today, and that's probably, well, maybe a good thing. But are there ways that people today go out of their way, maybe even how they dress, to communicate a certain thing to the people around them? Maybe it's the type of clothes that they wear. Maybe it's the labels on the back. Sometimes some of these clothes actually have like, the labels printed all over them. So everyone knows how much money they spent on these clothes. And, and they're trying to communicate something about themselves by how they dress. The clothes that these scribes wore, they were intended to make a statement, make them stand out. any Jewish person walking around town, you see one of these people dressed like that, well, you knew that they weren't just like the rest of us. They were someone special. And you've got to refer to them in a certain kind of way. And that leads to the second clue. They liked to be called by special names. Jesus said they like respectful greetings in the marketplaces. What did they want to be called? Well, they wanted to be called things like rabbi, which means my teacher. They wanted to be called things like father, indicating to everyone that they are the source. They are the keepers of the wisdom. They're the ones you want to look to when it comes to all things religious and all things spiritual. They wanted to be called things like leader. Call me leader. <laughs> Can you imagine? Titles are a big deal to some people, aren't they? They are a very big deal. I worked for someone who had, it was all about the titles. And every time we printed something, an error in the bulletin, he was quick to correct. No, 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 you have to add DR after that and add THM and add all these extra things. And we need people to know who I am. Titles matter to some people. They indicate a certain level of respect, don't they? You get pulled over by somebody. You see the person with the uniform. You see the person with the badge. And you refer to them as officer. You don't know who they are. You don't, they're not, you're not friends of theirs. You're not enemies of theirs. But you respect the dignity that the badge represents. When you address a judge, you say, your honor, right? And that's because the person behind the bench represents something that you value, that you hold sacred, namely justice, when you sit there on the table in that, that weird gown they put on you, you say to the person, who, who the, the man or woman in the white coat, you say, doctor, because hopefully, right, hopefully they studied hard and they passed all their tests and they know something, at least more than I do, about what's going on inside of me. How do we address our parents? Should we address them in a certain way? And someone might say, you don't know my parents. (laughs) They, They don't deserve any respect. If you only knew what went on behind closed doors at our house. But here's the thing. When the Bible talks about honoring our fathers and our mothers, it doesn't say anything About whether or not they're deserving of that honor. We simply show respect to our parents because God put them there. And God says to do it. And so, by showing proper respect to our parents, we are therefore showing respect and actually obeying God. It's good to show respect, isn't it? Respect is something that happens less and less in our world. Have you ever felt disrespected? Like five minutes ago? It happens all the time, but you know, it's one thing to recognize that we need to show proper respect, and it's one, another thing to actually be the person demanding that others show you the proper respect. To give someone else on, respect is to honor them. To demand respect, well, that could be an indication, could be an indication that what you're really thinking about is just me. Just you. And we need to understand and know the subtle difference between the two. And that seems to be what's going on here with these pretenders that Jesus is talking about. A third thing. You ready for number three? They wanted special privileges. Jesus said they liked the chief seats in the synagogue. They liked the places of honor at banquets, at feasts. They didn't want to sit with everyone else in church. They wanted to be set apart. They wanted to be up front. Maybe they even wanted to be on stage where everyone could see who they were and what they were about. We're not like the rest of you people out there. We are the special ones. I can remember feeling a bit like that when, uh, when when I was about 10 years old. My parents were in charge of the vacation Bible school at our church. That was a really big deal. It was a church of about this size, but they led the whole thing. My mom was writing the scripts. My dad was building all the stage stuff, and they were they were they were doing every anything and everything. And because I was their son, well, I got special privileges. I got to go backstage. I got to play with any of the props. I get to sneak into the snack stash, right, and help myself to whatever I wanted. And. It, had this special access and this feeling of superiority welled up within me. Something wasn't quite right about that. When these guys were invited to dinner, they expected the seat closest to the host. It's like at a wedding reception. You know, you've been to weddings before, and you get seated on a table that's like, outside of the room where the reception is actually taking place. You're in the overflow area, and you know right then and there, okay, I'm one of the extras. I'm one of the last-minute people. I'm one of the ones that probably should have, would have been cut off of the list had they not had a couple extra seats. But you know those tables that are real close to where the bride and groom are sitting. They have the best view. They're in the closest proximity. Well, they're someone important. And it may be just that they're family, but they're on a different level than you who's sitting outside. That's what's going on here. They want to be closest to the host. You get the idea. These people, they thought they were special. They thought that they were part of God's super squad. They thought that they were part of the A-team, the elite, the best of the best. The guys were self-proclaimed experts when it came to spiritual things, when it came to the Law of Moses expert. Absolutely. When it came to the rabbinic writings, all this oral tradition that had been written down, extra rules and regulations, all this interpretation, we're experts in that stuff. When it came to living out the way a person should actually live in a way that pleases God, expert. No one does it better than us. So they figured they deserved a little respect. A little respect. Come on. Please. Kind of like when I was a kid, if Chuck Norris would have walked in the room, all like boys in my class would have gone, what? To... Show proper respect. He's deserving of it. It's the same thing these guys were hoping to engender here. They wanted everyone else to know they were special. And yet in God's eyes, the only eyes really that matter, they were less than something special. They were pretending to be something special that they were not. Who were they? Jesus says they were the scribes. The scribes. The ones who had received the law from the prophets and diligently made copies of it and interpreted it and lived it out. One commentator says this, they were revered as the gatekeepers of the law and protectors of the people. They defined the law for all. And held all to its standards, obedience to which they promised brought blessing. So they said, look at us, everybody. (laughs) We're the real deal. We're it. God's happy with us. He's proud to have us on his team. Look at us. Listen to us. Do what we tell you to do that you might be blessed by God in the same way that we are blessed by God. We are God's people. And yet they were only pretending. How do we know that they were pretending? We pretend. We know because Jesus gives us two clues. Two clues. The first is this He says, They devour widows' houses. Now, there's some people who say that they could eat a horse, right? I don't think I've ever eaten horse meat before, but I've been hungry before. That I don't think I could ever eat a house. A widow's house might be a little smaller. On the other hand, it might be really big. We don't know. What does Jesus mean when he says they devour widows' houses? He's talking about the way that these men would do anything and everything that they could do to squeeze every little last drop of money. And it didn't matter who the people were. They were going to suck it out of them. They were going to squeeze it out. And they did it by convincing people that the only way to be super blessed by God, give it up, give it up. You see those offering plates? You see those offering bags? You see those those trumpet-shaped offering receptacles, the 13 of them that we have out here in the courtyard? Put your money in there. Put your money in there. You want God's blessing, don't you? Put your money in there. The largest courtyard of the temple, the courtyard of the women, where everyone was welcome, that's where the offering receptacles were. Put your money in there. And that's where Jesus sat and watched. And he saw rich people, they were dumping in large amounts of money. I suppose that like a lot of wealthy people these days who give lots of money to charity, they felt like they were doing a good thing. And I believe that the scribes convinced them that this is the way you are really going to be blessed. Yeah, you're, you have a lot of money right now. Just think, give whatever millions, whatever you've got, to the temple, to our cause, oh, you're really gonna be blessed. Next level kind of stuff. Most of them probably thought this was the way to make God really happy with them, but Jesus points out that it's one thing for the wealthy people to give their money to the temple. They could afford it, they could still live very, very comfortable, comfortable lives, lives, thousands of dollars, millions of dollars. We're still okay. We're doing all right. We could still go to lunch after church. The real crime, though, in Jesus' mind was how these scribes preyed upon those who had next to nothing, the widows who had no no source of income here. Maybe they had a house. That's it. And they were manipulating, and they were convincing them to give every last drop. So pressured to give every last drop so that they might be made right with God. One commentator describes them better than I could. The scribes consumed the limited resources of those who had the least. They abused their hospitality, defrauded them of their estates, mismanaged their property, and took their houses as privileges, as as pledges for debts that they could never repay. They were taking advantage of helpless people doing exactly opposite of what God had commanded them to. Look at a couple of these verses, Exodus twenty-two, twenty-two: You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Look, look how God's described in this next verse, Psalm 68 here. Father of the fatherless, protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation. This is the God who they're serving. He's the protector of the widows. Look at Isaiah 1:17. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before, your, from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Does God care about people? Does he care about their everyday needs? Absolutely he does. That wasn't happening here. Jesus points out the evidence. He's sitting right there on the temple grounds. Let's look at it one more time. Verse 42. Poor widow came, put two small copper coins, which make a penny, And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Everyone would have scratched their heads and go, huh? They all contributed out of their abundance, he says. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now, it's important for us to note, Jesus doesn't tell us whether or not her offering those two coins the, the two lepta, whether or not they were honoring to God. That's not the point he's making here. Nor does he make the point that it's better to give whatever little you have, give, give it all, than to give a, 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 some large amount of the gobs and gobs of money you have in the bank. That's not his point either. What he's trying to show everyone here is that this is a lady who has been convinced that the only way for God to truly bless her is if she gives these last two coins. And if you do the conversion rate, I know everyone's wondering, what are these equal to? They're equal to about $1.88 based on a $15 an hour salary. $1.88, all she had. All she had left. Talk about inhumanity. Talk about taking advantage of a person. All she had left $1.88. I need God's blessing. I need God to protect me. I need, I, what, what else do I have in life? I, I trust so much these religious leaders. $1.88. They manipulated her into giving all she had. And I'm sad to say this, this still goes on today. Absolutely goes on today. There are people who, in the name of God, are convincing some of the most impoverished to give everything they have. God's going to bless you. Prosperity gospel, it's spreading all over the country, all over the world. You know where it's spreading in some of the most dynamic ways? Some of the most impoverished parts of the world. Because they're going there and saying, you want to get out of your poverty Look at where I'm at at home. Look at my cliffside resort that I own back home. See how much God has blessed me? God wants to bless you too. $1.88, let's go. Line up. Give to my organization. Give to my ministry. God's going to bless you. In fact... The bigger the donation you make, the bigger God's going to bless you. If you have big faith, if you really trust him, then you're going to give big. And once he sees that, watch out, floodgates. Meanwhile, they're driving around in their leather-appointed vehicles. And they're sipping vino as they watch the sun setting into the vast ocean from their cliffside mansions. Something not right. My friends, there's nothing wrong with having money. Nothing wrong with having a lot of money. That's the way God blesses some, not all of us. And that is a unique gift that he entrusts some with and uses them mightily, not all of us. But to have made your wealth by manipulating and taking advantage of the very ones that God has called us to use our wealth to care for and to protect. something not right about that. These men claimed to be more godly, more in line with God's heart than anyone else. And Jesus points out that couldn't be further from the truth. How can you say that you love God when you don't love the ones that he loves? first letter of John speaks of this very idea in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 3. And by this, we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. These guys claim to be the gatekeeper of the commandments. Clearly, they were liars. John goes on, verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother, still in darkness. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The scribes, they claimed to know God. They claimed to love God. They didn't have the love of God in them, nor did they love the ones that God loved. The things of this world, they captivated their hearts, and they loved money and the things that money could offer them more than anything else. What is it that you and I love the most? What captivates our hearts. Do we step on this campus? Do we sing the songs? Do we speak the Christian lingo only because we think that by doing these things we're going to get more of the worldly things that we so crave? The scribes were clearly doing that. And it's possible that even this poor widow was doing that. If she had been listening to these guys, it's more than likely the motivation of her heart. Maybe I'll get more money. Maybe I'll get a better house. Maybe I'll feel secure. We don't know. Jesus doesn't tell us what was going on inside of her heart, only that she gave everything that she had. And it's a good thing to give, right? It's a good thing to give to God's people. It's a good thing to give to God's purposes. It's a good thing to give to the proclamation, the spread of the gospel around the world, which is what people need the most. In fact, regular giving and offering to the church is a defining characteristic of being Christian. It's part of who we are. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Paul says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, God loves a cheerful giver. Giving is one of the ways that Christians show their love and devotion to God. God, I love you more than this money that you've blessed me with. Here's some of it back for the furthering of your kingdom. It's one of the ways that we show our trust in God and that our trust isn't in our bank accounts or our stocks or our finances. God, I trust you. This money came from you here. It's it's all from you. You're the one who supplies my needs, who gives me security, who allows me to continue on. Here's, Here's a percentage of it back. I trust you. It's one of the ways that we invest in our church family so that we have a good, safe environment here to welcome people in, to proclaim the good news, to train up proclaimers of the gospel and make disciples here in our community and even around the world, like the ministry of Don and Amy Rogers. Regular, faithful giving, it's actually a privilege, and it's one of the joys that Christians get to experience. To be able to contribute to the work of the gospel by loosening our grip on something that's had, attempting to have a hold on our hearts to hold us captive, that's a blessing. Not only something that Christians are commanded to do, It's something that Christians love to do. And God loves it when his people give freely and they give cheerfully. On the other hand, if we're not giving, that may be an indicator that something is not right in our hearts. And we should be praying that God would reveal and convict us of that, right? Could it be that our trust is in our bank account and not in God? Could it be that we love money more than we love God? We love it with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, right? By hoarding the blessings that God has given me, could I be missing out on an important, freeing, and joyful aspect of the Christian life? Am I less than Christian than I should be? These are some of the good heart-examining questions. They're really, the, the main question that in all things that we need to be asking ourselves is, do I have the right heart motivation for the things that I do? John writes in 2.17, the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. There are people who throughout history that have been very, very successful. They've made their mark. They've done important things only for those things to be handed off to others. That's the road these scribes were going down. They pretended to love God, but money, power, and prestige were what they really loved. The second clue, second clue is this. They make long prayers for show. Jesus says, for pretense, they make long prayers prayers. The last thing that prayer is for is to show off to others, and yet I know it happens all the time, doesn't it? Do you ever feel that pressure? You're praying in a group out loud, and oh my gosh, I don't know, well, so-and-so's prayer was awesome. I don't know if I should even pray because I can't touch that. Prayer's not about that. As we pray, we confess our neediness to God. Not how lucky he is to have us. <laughs> Imagine. As we pray, we recognize God's goodness towards us. Not how good I've been to him. God, you're lucky to have me. So lucky to have me. (laughs) Aren't you glad you made me? I could just spend forever with you. He's like, I'm not sure about that. As we pray, we celebrate who he is not make a celebration of who we think we've made ourselves. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 6, 5, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you you leave the pretending to those who don't know god don't pretend those who do know him know that there's no place that you can go that will escape his glance his gaze and so you go into your house into a secret place where no one else can see you and you pour your heart out to him those who truly know god they know something about themselves and they know that what people think they know about them is Not exactly true. And that my heart is a lot darker than what other people know it to be. And so I go in secret and I pour my heart out to God and I thank God for having mercy on me. When we pray, those who truly know God, they get alone and they ask God to examine them just like David did. Examine me. Find the stink inside. Holy Spirit, scrub it clean. And you thank God for his mercy. The scribes, they were devouring widows' houses. They were using spiritual disciplines like prayer to make a good impression on their spectators. Jesus, you know what Jesus said? They will receive the greater condemnation. There's levels of condemnation, apparently. Pastor John MacArthur says, well, it's a sobering reality that those who know the truth and reject it will receive more severe punishment than those who never did. Hebrews 10, 29. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? and is outraged at the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. There's something about this verse that should give us a real sense of discomfort. And that sense we're getting is a result of understanding just a little bit God's holiness and God's justice. Far too often we come before God in prayer just like we're saying, hey, buddy, what are you gonna give me today? Rather than saying, Lord, great and awesome, mighty God, have mercy. Thank you for your mercy. You know, these religious leaders, they, it says they will, Jesus said they'll receive the greater condemnation, I think, for what they did, but I think one of the things we haven't even talked about yet is by their example, they led others to do the same. How many people followed in their footsteps? How many people believed that you could buy God's favor by putting your money where your mouth is, putting it in those trumpet-shaped receptacles? How many people came to believe that it's about what's on the outside rather than what's on the inside that God cares about? How many people were deceived into thinking that by following these list of rules and regulations that they put out, that at least while everyone else is looking, that I'm good. That's all God cares about. How many people went on to use their spirituality to get rich? How many people prayed simply to show off to others? Rather than sincerely cry out for God's mercy, the scribes were pretenders and they taught by example. And we gotta close by examining our own hearts here. Kids, thanks for hanging in. What about us? Are we guilty of the same things? Is this what we're teaching our grandkids? Is this what we're teaching our children? Is this what we're teaching our siblings' children or people we come into contact with at work? What are we teaching them by the lives that we live? Maybe we aren't literally devouring widows' houses here, but could it be that simply putting on this show, we're convincing ourselves and each other that God's happy with us by our performance? Maybe we're not praying out loud on the street corners, but could it be that the way we live our lives is training people to worship God in a way that is insincere? Maybe there are other ways that we're leading people astray. Maybe our infrequent church attendance is telling our children that it isn't all that important to regularly come together and worship with the body of Christ. Or maybe it's more important, face this time and time again in youth ministry, more important to play that sport or do that extracurricular activity on a Sunday so that you can get that scholarship and so you can go to that college so you can be taught all of this garbage and be led completely away from God. Could it be that we're leading our kids away from Him? May we complain to each other as we complain to each other about so-and-so at church. You see what so-and-so did out on the grass after church? How they were stealing other kids' lunches and they were trying to pop the inflatable slide. You see that? We love to talk about people all the time, don't we? We love to complain about other people. Are we teaching people that what Jesus said, that you will know these are my people by their love? Are we teaching them that yeah, that's not really true. Maybe we're, when we make compromises and we're dabbling in things that we shouldn't be for the sake of enter- entertainment, are we leading others to believe that holiness and righteousness, well, God doesn't really care about those things. Maybe, the, maybe when we act one way at church and then another way at home or another way at work or another way at school, we're showing the world that this whole Jesus thing it really doesn't make all that much of a difference. Maybe we're harboring bitterness in our hearts. And our kids see it. And it says loud and clear that the forgiveness of Christ is just a sham. We could go on and on, couldn't we? We won't, don't worry. There are hundreds, probably thousands of ways that we can be less than Christian, less than Christ-like in our lives. I'd like to give you just three things, three ways that we can guard, guard ourselves from falling into this less than Christian kind of way of life. Real quickly, first one, we need to devote ourselves to time in God's word alone, time with prayer Time in prayer to God as we we need God to search our hearts, to know us through and through, seek out any grievous way within us, to lead us in the way everlasting like David prayed in Psalm 139. We need that. We need to be in the Word. Secondly, we need to be in community with other people believers we need regular meaningful spiritually oriented fellowship times where we sit down across from each other we look each other in the eye and we ask each other hard questions and we share deep things that are going on in our lives we share deep wants we confess deep sins and we're praying for one another and we're encouraging one another and that's one of the things we're hoping that community groups help facilitate here in our church we need to be in community Finally, we need to not just be consumers of church, coming to church, what does church have to offer me? We need to actually seal the deal and become members of a church. Well, I don't see membership anywhere in the Bible. Well, you see all over the New Testament, people who belonged. And you see elders and pastors who are held accountable for the souls of the people in their church. We need to become committed members of a church where we say, please hold me accountable. Please watch my life. You see me veering off over here or over here? Call me out. How do you guard yourself from being less than Christian? Be in the word, be in community, connected with other Christians, be accountable to elders and pastors who God has called to shepherd our souls. Let's refuse to become like the scribes. Let's refuse to be satisfied with less than Christian. As God's people who've been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light, let's join together, declare his excellencies to the nations as authentic followers of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We've looked and examined your word this morning. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would make it real to our hearts, that you would have your way within us, that you would convict, that you would change, that you would shape. That with your supernatural power, Lord, that you would change us from the inside out, that we might look like Jesus. We want to look like Jesus. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We give to you all that we are. We thank you that you care for us, Lord. Those of us who feel significant and those who feel like the least significant, Lord, you care for each and every one of us. Love you. We know that we are in good hands because we are in your hands. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy, for your great love. We pray in Christ's name. And everyone says, amen.